All right, everybody, it's Adi. And Sophie. And we are coming to you live from Israel. We are on a family trip and we're revisiting some of our old episodes. And this one really just, we looked at it and actually couldn't believe that we had done something so deep around our traumas for years ago now. Yeah, four years ago. It's crazy because it seems like every time, at least for me, every time we talk about certain taboo subjects, I feel like it's the first time. I always feel like so nervous. And then I remember that the reason that I like, that's exactly why I should share and that we should share and that if it makes you nervous, it's probably a good place to talk about. And um, there's a lot of magic in that. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole fuck shame thing, right? And I remember when we talked about MDMA four years ago, I got to say, it's, it wasn't in the conversation as much as it is right now. And it did feel like we were really kind of going out on a limb, admitting that it was a big part of your trauma release and, and our way of overcoming that. It's, it's a tool. It's an, a magical tool, just like anything else. And, you know, when you listen to this episode, um, if you've never tried MDMA and you're totally closed off to that kind of stuff, just keep an open mind in general and just think about, you know, replace that with anything, like any tool that you don't know, you don't even know until you open up your awarenesses to what is possible. So I know that for myself, if I would have 20 years ago, someone would have told me that I'd be experimenting with these different types of drugs and substances and all the, the the kind of tools and tricks that a D and I have done in our relationship in our almost 20 years of being married. If someone would have told me then that I would be using them on a, you know, semi-consistent basis to heal, to unravel, to go into places of myself and access points of healing and growth that, and then share about it publicly <laughs> with thousands to hear, I'd be like, Heck no, that's absolutely not happening. And that is not what I'm able to do. Yeah. And by the way, this is, we do talk about a lot of other tools. It's not only MDMA that we talk about in here. I just couldn't believe that we were talking about it that, that early ago, yeah. in the podcast. Uh, so that was really cool. And we should, you know, we go a lot, and Sophie, into your trauma. We talk about, again, a lot of the work that we ended up having to do to, to heal. And as you mentioned, you know, we've been together more than 18 years now. A lot that it takes to maintain a relationship flourishing over that length of time. So we're really, really excited for you to hear this again. What also came up for me as I was going over this episode again was just the dozens and dozens and dozens of couples that we've worked with since this podcast has mm -hmm. started. And I know that because of COVID, we kind of put um, you know retreats on hold because the world was shut down for anybody who's coming out from under a rock right now. But you know, I've been loving these in-person experiences. And, you know, we've also been around some or helped integrate some couples around this MDMA experience. So I do just want to mention that in a couple of months, we're going to Tulum to Papaya Playa Project, a magical, magical place. One of my most favorite places on the planet. And, you know, Papaya Playa is just beyond. <laughs> it's like such a dreamy place. But Tulum itself is a healing vortex. And it's just somewhere that I've gone at my most broken moments. And it's put me back together. The sea, the sand, the sun, the people, the energy. It's so healing. So we have a lot of magic in store for you. And we hope that if you can carve out time, September 21 through 25, you can join us in Tulum. It is for not just couples, but couples are welcome. Boyfriends, girlfriends, sisters, mothers, daughters, roommates, bring your family. We're bringing our family. All are welcome. It's co-ed. And we are going to be going very deep to up-level 
your life and our lives together using all the tools and tricks that we can. It's going to be so, so, so cool. So yeah, join us if you can. Listen for the tools and the tricks and everything we've done over our relationship. And we hope this helps you because, you know, even though we released it four years ago, still relevant. this episode is totally still relevant. Enjoy. Life is all about relationships. Lovers, family, body, or money. How satisfied you are can be completely explained by how you relate to things around you. This is Sophie Jaffe, and together with my husband, Dr. D. Jaffe, we are here to explore and teach you how to maximize your relationships and achieve a happier life. Let's get ignited. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ignited Podcast. I'm Adi Jaffe. And I'm Sophie Jaffe. And we've got one of our Going Deep episodes for you. Woohoo! We haven't done one in a little bit since the last time we dropped a bomb. What's up? I dropped a bomb on you. That's a song, right? I don't know. I, think I don't think was... we can get the rights. Did I just make it up? <laughs> you made it up. No, I don't think I made it up. <laughs> I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have people go through the archives and we'll figure that out. Um, but yeah, last time when we did one of these, we we went deep. We talked about our way down, sort of all the ways in which trust were, was broken. Our relationship almost ended multiple times because I was an asshole, um, and. You know, some of we talked a little bit in the interim about the things that we were trying to do to make it better. But what we talked about a lot last time is how it got broken. And our story, like we were, we were really sharing our story and putting it out there verbally. I've written about it in parts online, but I don't really share about it that much. Uh, it's not something I talk about or even think about that much anymore. So for me, I felt like. Personally, I really wanted to get our story out there in a complete form, both of us telling the story, contributing to the story. But we already took up a lot of your time. How long was that episode? Like an hour and a half. Yeah, an hour and a half. So if you didn't listen to that episode, please go back and listen to The Going Deep. That one is all about our story, how we kind of got to and then came out and emerged from a lot of like cheating, lying, broken boundaries, disrespect. How Sophie got me back for all that lying. How I got him back, which was also disrespectful, but I, in the moment, didn't feel like I had a choice. Yeah. Um, And just the pain, the pain. We talked a lot about the pain. Pain and anger. And so in this episode, we really want to chat. We've had a lot of questions of like, okay, you went through this thing. It was really traumatic. I've been through X, Y, and Z. We get amazing direct messages from you on our Ignited account. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Because I mean, we hear some of the most personal stories and we we want to know that we read all of them (laughs) yeah we read all of them we just when we share them with each other and i really want you all to know how much we appreciate you guys being willing to open up like that to us it means a lot um and we read all of them so even if we don't get to it right away in a podcast we we will and um if we don't write back to you right away we will but we read all of them so this is a specific topic that has come up a lot over time And it's mostly about how after you go through a really shitty situation, whether it's with your partner or like a childhood trauma, something that happened that broke your trust, broke your heart, how do you come up from that? How do you rebuild? How do you trust again? How do you not bring that experience into every new relationship that you ever encounter? And what we're going to talk about specifically, although it could probably be applied to childhood trauma too, is relationship trauma. So say that you and your partner went through something really traumatic. You had a cheating incident. Um, 
Maybe there was some abuse, something that made you feel unsafe. How do you rebuild from there? So we're here to talk about our story, give you some tangible tips of what worked for us, and then you can take and pick what works for you. Yeah. Try things on. And we tried a lot of things. I mean, yeah. we've we've done a lot of different things to, to fix this. And it's and- been a long road for us. It's been about eight years now since the first cheating incident or nine. So we have lots of tips. We have lots of experiences in all different types of healing. And it's we been really- much longer than nine years since the first cheating episode, by the way. Yeah, thank. Yeah, because we were still dating. Well, we got married eight years ago. Yeah. So I was just thinking like nine or 10 years. Yeah. yeah it's been like almost a decade of healers, very creative um, experiences, which we'll get more into to break, you know, taking substances to break down our boundaries and break down our fears and my insecurities specifically, but also both of our insecurities and the walls that we hold up. Um, we talk about, you know, we're going to talk about boundaries and, and rebuilding trust in very specific, tangible ways therapy groups, all of that. So we're going to cover that today. Yep. And if, you know, we would love and welcome you to listen to this episode, even if you're not in a relationship or this doesn't speak to you, just to have the awareness because things happen. We're human. And even if it's not something as extreme, I mean, honestly, sometimes a D cheating on me emotionally was actually harder on my heart or at least the same equal as the physical cheating. Like when I would find a text message, like my heart would break and I felt so defeated and I felt so disgusted. And that sometimes felt more heavy than actually physically cheating. You're talking about like after the physical cheating, when you would find these like digital things. Yeah. Like, I mean, letters you would write to girls or, you know, really thoughtful things that you would say to the girl you cheated on. Like I remember going back a lot to like Facebook messenger and seeing what you would write to Ashley. And that was the first girl he cheated on me with. And they had an emotional relationship. Like they weren't just having sex. They were dating. They were going on tennis dates. They were going to the gym together. They were going to coffee. They were basically dating behind my back. And it, that is way more painful than like Like, I don't even think about them having sex. I think about him caring for and being nurturing to another woman. And so my point is, whether you like it or not, there's going to be experiences in your life that break you down in your relationship with your partner. And it's all fine. And you will come out the other side. It doesn't have to be this extreme. We know people with much more extreme circumstances. But for us, like, these are the things that we tried on. And, and, the questions, lo- and the questions that a lot of you have asked are about how do I reestablish trust? And sometimes you're asking about how do I reestablish trust with my partner? But some of the other questions that we got that I think we're going to roll into this because it's part of your experience, Sophie, are I've had a lot of trauma and other trust broken in past relationships. And now that's coming into my present relationship exactly. and I don't know how to get rid of it or how to get past it. And so we're going to talk about all of that. Yep. Yeah. And we have some people that wrote to us saying they had childhood traumas, like with a stepdad, with whatever, fill in the blank, people in their own nuclear families, people, close friends of the family, things that happen that show up in your heart and your body as trauma. And, you know, until you properly heal that and dive in, 
it's going to show up in every relationship that you ever experience. Yeah. 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 And so you, we got to, we got to get through it. What we're going to talk about today is because again, Sophie has had some of these experiences in her past and, and we're going to talk about, you know, how do you, how do you move forward in a deliberate way to do the best that you can to take the edges off those experiences and reprogram your brain, to program your brain, to think differently about the world. You really have to reprogram. So let's dig in. Yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, for me personally, I came from a a really great family. I, my mom and dad were really loving. Uh, They divorced when I was eight years old, separated when I was six. So that was pretty traumatic for me. We moved around a lot um, every year from, when I was in third grade until I was in high school. And then at the end of high school, senior year, I moved out of my mom's house and moved in with my roommates. So I moved around constantly. And then a year later, after doing undergrad for a year, I then moved to LA. So bouncing around a lot, not a lot of consistency um, with my mom. And I got to say, I mean, not a lot of consistency with your mom, but I also have to say your family... (sighs) Your mom and your dad talk about each other in pretty terrible, un- unhealthy, terrible ways. Terrible. Always. And I'm assuming, I didn't know you 12, 20 years ago, but I'm assuming it's always been that way since they yeah. divorced. Yeah. And maybe even a couple of years before they divorced. And I got I to gotta believe that that leaves an impression by itself to have your dad talk about your mom this way and to have your mom talk about your dad the way that yeah, she does. You know, it's funny. My dad didn't really do a lot of that in the beginning. Okay. My mom, I think, felt abandoned by my dad and felt like she was left with the kids and the burden of having to raise two little kids alone. She was which, left with the kids. She what? She was left with the kids. She was left with the kids. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying it's, it wasn't even justified. I'm just it saying- It just was inappropriate to talk to your children about. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I remember my mom made some inappropriate disclosures to me earlier when I was younger. and It's not appropriate. It, it messed up my relationship with my dad and For it- sure. And it wasn't a healthy, there was not like a, a real processing. It was more like a dumping, you know? And at nine, eight, yep. 11 years old, I wasn't ready for dumping. Oh yeah. My mom told me at like 14 that she wanted to kill, said she's thought about killing herself before. Yeah. And I walked, I moved to the other side of the road and I yelled at her and said, do not ever tell me something like that again. Yeah. That is not something you're supposed to share with me. And I knew that even at 14, I was like, that is highly inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. So, so one level of trauma is right there, yeah. right? The first relationship you've ever seen in your life, the thing you suppose you think in your head is supposed to last forever and ever and ever. It's the model of what your relationships are supposed to be like. And then it breaks up in a shitty way. Yep. So that's when it started. So that made me feel unsafe. And then not just that, but then also moving around from place to place. I never had any consistency. I never knew where we were going to go to school next year. If my friends would stay, I was pretty adaptable. But it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And I made the most of it. I, you know, I was a very positive child just as I still am, but it wasn't easy. I definitely felt sadness and missed my dad a lot and really wanted my family to be a family. I'm sure. Um, my stepmom entered into the picture when I was, when they pretty much, um, shortly after they divorced, he dated someone else. And then, um, Phyllis came into my life like a year after that. And, you know, she, she did offer some consistency that I craved, but she was 3000 miles away. So right. we'd have great conversations over the phone and she'd, you know, she'd help me with things. But again, it was just not normal. <laughs> it wasn't just, it just wasn't the typical and it wasn't something that I could count on. Like, even though they were all somewhat in my life, it was like kind of on their own terms. So you're saying all of this contributed somehow to 
just the way you establish relationships? Or yeah. The way, okay. Yeah. So the relationships in my life, the ones that were closest to me were all kind of all over the place. Like my dad stepped in when it was convenient for him. Um, same with my stepmom. Like it was on their terms, on their breaks. Um, and then my mom was like, honestly, she did the best she could considering she was raising two kids on her own. Totally. She had several jobs at any given time. So she was barely ever home. Um, but she was, you know, she definitely has, she's has some borderline tendencies. Sure. So really an extreme highs and really extreme lows, which I, I, in middle school and high school, I didn't know which version of my mom I was going to get. So just lots of inconsistencies. So the relationships mm. in my life were like, I couldn't really trust the relationships in my life. Um, well, it's funny. I already now, as we're talking about this, understand some of the things you said later on in our relationship mm. about kind of being scared that I would leave or all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Which is very opposite to the way that I grew up. So really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then... And then I moved here and then I met you, really. After, or I had my relationship with Keith. There was, a was, five, there was a five year solo romantic relationship in the middle of all that. Yeah, I wouldn't call it romantic. But um, yeah, I had a relationship with my ex for five years on and off. Very your, on and off. He was your boyfriend. He was my boyfriend. We broke up several times a year. Um, there was cheating once or twice. There was an STD situation. And that's, oh yeah, yeah. So my OB called me one time to let me know that I had chlamydia. And I was like, oh, how do you get that? <laughs> and she's like, by sleeping with someone that has chlamydia. And I was like, oh, no, I've only been with one person. She's like, by sleeping with someone that has chlamydia. And I'm like, oh, really? Wait. And that's how I found out that he cheated on me. Like my OB calling me. And to, it's just so wrong and so That's probably many, more common than we imagine that it is. Maybe, but I mean, she would sleep with one person ever and be 19 years old or Ugh. 18 years old. And like, but it, so that was one thing I didn't even know that he cheated. Oh, well, you told me that story before, I guess. So <laughs> I, I knew, I knew that he had cheated at least that one time. Yeah. But there was like physical abuse. Yeah. A shit ton of emotional psychological abuse. Really abuse. since high school. Oh yeah. Psychological abuse for sure. He was, he was very, very traumatized in his growing up process and um, and just repeated those patterns. Yeah. He just repeated those patterns with me, you know, and, and scared the shit out of me. I was terrified of him. He still pops into my dreams 13 years later. I haven't even seen him in like a decade. And I still, he'll pop in. He's chasing me in my dreams. Like yeah. I, I'll be running from like one cabin to another place. Yeah, it's trauma. I mean, and you've he's hidden. chasing me, and I'm locking all the doors and yeah. all the windows, and can't get away from him. You've hidden closets. He's torn yeah. up your clothes. He's literally physically hit you. Yeah. Um, and and it started early. This is your first relationship. Yeah. So talk about creating your models. Like my first relationship was with Allison from like the Catholic school on the other side of the neighbor, the town, and you know I had to hide from her parents because she wasn't allowed to have boys at. Allison listens. Hi, Allison. Hey, hey, Allison. What's up? Um, there was none. I mean, Allison could pipe in here uh, in comments if she wants to, but like, not a single element of anything that you're describing right now existed no. in our relationship. No, there wasn't dysfunction. It was just a, a normal high school relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like we went away to college, and she met an older man who she is now married to and has kids with. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, what, you're welcome, Rick. Um, that's that's worked out really, really well. Like that's the relationship. She's had some other relationships in the interim, but like that was my model. Totally. And it came from my parents. Like yeah. 
I knew my parents had trouble. My parents fought. I've talked about this before. My dad left the house for a couple of days. Like they almost got divorced. But what I learned from my parents is you persevere and you make it through. And my parents, unfortunately, didn't have the emotional tools to deal with it in a way that is deep and emotionally satisfying and uh, and healthy. But they made it and they did the work. And in the end, you know, they they were really good in the ways that they knew how to be really good. Um, so that was my model, which always freaked me out and weirded me out when you were like afraid I'm going to leave. I'm like, I'm not leaving. I'm not or going anywhere. Or even like afraid that you would hit me or afraid like when we get into a fight. Oh, that's right. You, you did I used to be I used to like flinch when Adi would yell because <laughs> I thought like, what he are would, you doing? Yeah. And it, I mean, it was just a, a natural reaction, oh. which is so sad because my mom and dad would never, they're the most loving people in the world. Like Your dad maybe would hit a fly. My dad would never. I mean, he has a temper. He definitely yeah. has a temper and will yell. But I mean, everyone has some sort of anger that they need to expel from their bodies and in their own ways, but they would never hit me. Yeah, yeah. And you did it used took to flinch. That's crazy. Several I years. forgot that. Yeah. And that was so foreign to me when you would do it because I'm like, well, I, I don't, like I moved an arm. There's no way that arm is moving near you. Yeah, and I would, I, I like not anymore, but I, for a long time, I was shocked that you, I was like, he's got to have that in him. He's going to hit me at some point. But I think this is an important point for the people listening, right? You learn based on your past experiences. So when you tell us, when you talk to us about, I've had this trauma in the past and it's affecting me and I don't know, and I don't know what to do about it. I just want to give you the full understanding and permission. You know, Sophie flinched, not because I was about to hit her. Sophie flinched because in previous experiences, when she was in a fight with somebody and there was anger or there was disagreement, an arm movement or a head movement or anything like that signaled that she might get hit. And so her body knew that and it mm -hmm. stored that and habitually muscle memory. it reacted to those things. And we have that psychologically and physically. And so when other triggers come up from past experiences, and it could be so innocuous and annoyingly simple, like, oh, this guy used to abuse me, but first he would put his hand on my knee. So when somebody puts their hand on your knee, you flip out. Not because their hand is on your knee, but because in your head, hand on knee means I'm about to get abused. And if we let go of the, not let go, but if we reduce the shame and the self-inflicted pain about these things, then we can start accepting the truth, which is, oh, this was the gateway. Um, actually, you know, you just remind me, Allison had one of these things. Um, but I've, I've heard from other friends, like the simplest thing, like somebody locking their car door. Could, have, could remind you of a situation where somebody assaulted you in the car. I want you to think back to those experiences and understand what the little pieces of the puzzle are because those pieces are going to be really important to work on. Those pieces are like the gateway into that hell of triggered trauma that you are experiencing in your life. And if we can uncover those and if we can chip away at them and smooth out their edges, then the, then the fear and the anxieties and the impact that they're having on your day-to-day -day activities now will just lessen so you can have more control over the, your actual reaction. Yeah. Holla. Holla. Um, so in my, after being then with a D and then if you listen to the, the episode where we go deep and we talk about our cheating incidents and all that betrayal, um, it took a long road to rebuild trust. It wasn't fast. <laughs> It was actually felt like it took forever. I would say really about, I'd say no less than three to five years to feel. Three years until it started. Three years until we started to feel like 
somewhat normal. And then I'd say five years until it was like, okay, now let's challenge ourselves and, and kind of go outside of our comfort zone and try new things. Yeah. At three years when you said you started saying that you trust me and then we would have all these conversations with Mark, we're like, yeah, yeah. not quite not there, quite. but we even had to do a lot. And that's the reason we're talking about the study. We even had to do a lot to get to that three year mark. Like it took a lot of work to get to that place where Sophie could believe that she trusts me. Yeah. Or even want to. So the first couple of years, the most important thing right away was to create new boundaries. So well, boundaries, we'd never, we had actually never, we never talked had about them. boundaries. No, we never had boundaries. So to create boundaries that made us both feel safe. There were, there were a lot of boundaries. Yeah. So basically we created boundaries that made us feel like it was inner circle, middle circle, outer circle. Yeah. And that language comes from SAA, but, um, just to kind of explain to you guys the overarching thing, this, this changes based on what the trauma you've had, what the struggles that you're having, right? And so for those of you who are experiencing past trauma, this might be a little bit different, but we essentially took all the things that I had done that we believed had broken the trust and we literally took them off the table. So um, I started talking to this girl at the gym and that led to me cheating on Sophie. Can't talk to girls uh, outside of Sophie being there at all, period. Like that was, that just became a fact. Now I went to a graduate program, by the way, where 80% of the people that I went to school with were women, but that didn't matter, right? Because if I wanted to save my relationship with Sophie, then part of what that required is I no longer have conversations with women separately of my wife. Um, we also made a rule where I couldn't go drinking with my guy friends unless Sophie was there. Every time that he cheated, there was alcohol involved. Yep. Even though he didn't have an alcohol problem, every time that he had some sort of texting someone inappropriately, going online inappropriately. Every single time alcohol was involved. Probably not every time because those texts like after running didn't involve, I wasn't drinking like in the middle of the day, but let's say 90% of the yeah. events did for sure. So alcohol without Sophie was off the table. Off the table. Um, and it continued. So that those are just examples. Yeah, exactly. But you have to make them appropriate to your Relationship, situation and to what you're your, What would with. make me feel safe in this moment? Exactly. And there's nothing too weird. There's nothing that you're asking of your partner that is too extreme. The... You know, the point of boundaries is to communicate your needs and to allow your your partner to prove him or herself. And you both can have boundaries. Like yeah. maybe there's it's a two-way street and you both need to feel safe in different ways because one person has a childhood trauma and the other one got cheated on. Who knows? Like it, it's make it personal to you. And for us in the very beginning, we needed to be very, very restricted in the beginning so that, you know, like we said, he couldn't speak to other women. He couldn't go out with women. He couldn't have friends that were women. He couldn't go out for drinks with male friends. Um, and over time, we start, we started sharing location there. Yep. We started sharing locations on our phone, which is really easy and it just made us feel safe. It wasn't about like, I'm watching your every move. It was just like, I have nothing to hide. Of course I'll show you my location. And that coming from a place of generosity of like, I love you. I want this to work. Whatever you need to feel safe, I yeah, will do. Yeah, I rem I do remember when we started it, part of it came from straight guilt, right? Like I fucked up sure. and I'll do whatever. Like punishment. And then there were moments, I got to be honest, there were moments when it felt like it was like an invasion of privacy because forever sure. and ever and ever we've we've learned like, oh, no, that's my, that's my side. And look, some people listening right now might still believe that. That is not the kind of relationship Sophie and I have to this day. The relationship Sophie and I have now to this day is... Like we're both living in glass houses 
And you know, when you look around and you see everything. And if Sophie asks me a question, my job, and the same with if I ask her a question, our job is to be translucent, like completely transparent. So you can see through everything. That is what makes us feel safe. And it works both ways. And when we that's how we know things are even moving a tiny bit off the the center of kind of like steady space is when one of us has a charge or a feeling associated with being honest then there's something there to explore and we know we need to explore it so those boundaries were strict for like we said for about three years they were like uber strict nothing let in outside of and then over time he proved himself he continuously told the truth um, he continued to live within the boundaries and that allowed me to slowly, slowly build trust and feel safe. And feeling safe is the most important thing. And you can't rush this, which comes to our next, which is about time. Yeah. So time is something that you can't rush. You cannot rush time. I kept trying to rush the time. A D would try and rush the time. I'd be like, oh, I feel, I trust you now. Let's X, Y, and Z, or let's go do that thing that you wanted to do, or let's go to that party that, you know, is like an open party. All these things that were actually triggers for me or way outside my comfort zone, or I just wasn't ready for yet. I would try and push it too early. And that's when I would know. And like, you have to try it, right? Right. You have to. We talked about this the other day. We went to a sex shop um, just to see, and we left with you crying. During during this time, so dur- during the first few years of recovery, this is yeah, what yeah. he's talking about, not just last week. We were talking about this experience oh, the other yeah, day, sorry. about this experience we had several years ago, like oh, seven to ten, like seven years, seven ago, years ago or so. We went into the like the probably the first sex shop I've ever been in, and or at least in a while, and with my partner with a D, and it was so trauma traumatic. I mean, was, you walked out crying. I was crying because he knew all of these things and it reminded me of him cheating and it triggered me and it sent me into a spiral and I felt very unsafe. But here's the experience. And by the way, this is something that we do a lot with within the Ignited kind of framework of working with people with these issues in general is there's that's good. It's good that we were able to trigger it because if we wouldn't have been able to trigger it, then the assumption, the underlying assumption would be that she was over it but that experience led to a conversation and there was no additional cheating. There was no additional breaking of trust following that experience. And so Sophie's brain after that experience was able to say, oh, okay, we can get triggered and it can be emotionally draining and yet not lead to more problems. No, we use it as an opportunity for healing and growth, even though it was painful in the moment. And I'm very aware now more than ever that these experiences that challenge me personally are the ones like, especially if it makes me feel like really uncomfortable and I get butterflies and all of that. And I'm thinking about it a lot and I start to go to a place of fear. I'm like, okay, that's exactly what I should be doing for my growth. So we went back into that same sex shop and we went around it. We had the best time. I'm reading books. We were we were in it together, yeah. and we both learned, and we both adjusted. Yep. And you know, and then by the next time that we went, it was like, cool. Let's sign up for a class. Like this is awesome. I feel so comfortable. Totally. Um, but it, it took time, and that that kind of like exposure therapy or whatever you want to call it. That's what it is. It's what it is. It totally comes natural to me. Like I I love to dig into those things that are painful. And I've always been that way. Like, yeah, but here's but here's the thing. 
I'm telling you, for those of you listening right now, where this sounds insane and crazy and you're like, hell fucking no, I'm not doing this. Once you start getting this, you start loving it mm-hmm. because you go, okay, cool. What's the next thing that I've limited myself for my entire life just because of fears built into my brain because of experiences I've had in the past that I can break through right now? Exactly. What's the next thing I've never allowed myself to do? Fear of heights. Like there's so many things. So many things. So it's, many it's things. essentially endless. Yeah. So uh, coming back to the time thing, the point is that you can't control it. We always wish we could speed it up. Yeah. And so many times in my journey with a D, I would say, okay, 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 I trust you. I'm not jealous anymore. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not fearful. Let's just go X, Y, and Z. And willing myself into believing that I was okay, but I wasn't okay. And I wasn't ready yet. And I wasn't ready. You can't fake it. And if you go back to, you know, the boundaries and feeling safe and seeing a therapist and communicating with your partner, that's when you can you know, just keep that going. And then eventually you will, time will heal. Yeah. yeah. And so you, it's, this is the, this is the magical formula, right? Is you have to add the work and the time. If you just let time pass, it's not enough. Nothing's going to change. No. If you just do the tools and you try to get to the super advanced tools three weeks after li- really significant trauma, it's going to cause too much pain and you're going to have to run because it's going to be so painful that you literally will not be able to handle it. Yeah. And so it's this magic combination of letting time pass, doing the best work that you can do at any given moment in time, testing your boundaries and saying, oh, wait, I'm ready for this next level of work. And when Sophie got to that place, when she really trusted me, we didn't have to have conversations about trust anymore, right? Like Sophie now on a regular basis, let's say to look at Instagram or to do something, we'll just grab my phone. And because of where we are now, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about before I even say it, because of where we are now, the thought of, I wonder what she's going to see, never passes. Yep. She can look through my pictures, go anywhere she wants. She can look at my email, you know, whatever accounts I have, all that stuff. She can do all of it. And there's a safety and a, and a relief, a level of relief that comes in your relationship when you're in that place that permeates every other aspect. But we had to get through a lot of those stepping stones to get there. Exactly. Yeah. It's, there's so many things. Um, I'm trying to think what else. If there's anything else we should add to that. Oh, yeah. Our most I mean, magical experience. Yeah. So so, there, so, so these the, are all the like tangible tips that, you know, get a great therapist that you trust. Get a personal therapist, an individual therapist. Like yeah. you don't just want to go as a couple. You It's very important to go as a couple so you can communicate effectively and have that third person there who's neutral and just there to help you and help you see your blind spots. But also as important is seeing an individual therapist. And that um, was something you didn't really do at all initially, I feel like. I mean, I, I think I was in and out. I dabbled okay. in and out from different therapists. Okay. But I've been in therapy my entire life. I've yeah. been in therapy since my parents divorced. My parent, my mom just put me into therapy. So yeah. it, I'm, it's not something that's really that new. I have the tools. But yes, I mean, I, I was in and out of therapy. Also, you had your own therapist. And then we had a couples therapist. And that was so important. And then now we're at a point where we're at a maintenance stage. So a few times a year when we're we've got a really big problem that we just can't get through, even a small problem, we'll go back. Yeah. Like yeah. an oil change. We go back when we need to for some maintenance and it feels really good. I like that. I don't think you've ever used the oil change analogy in your life before. <laughs> Is it because you're getting ready to buy a new car? Maybe. Um, <laughs> so yes. And then once we got to that place, some real magic happened. Yeah. Once the trust once the trust happened, um, 
there's some other magic that, that took place because all of a sudden it was no longer about you move from this place of trying to overcome the trauma that the relationship created to expansion and what experiences can we have. And this is actually, I think, the first time, Sophie, when we together did work and you pushed it for sure, but you, we together did work that ended up helping you overcome the trauma way before me. Yeah. Um, around physical touch and, and sexuality and all those things. So MDMA, as I'm sure some of you know, but many of you probably don't, MDMA has been used for the last 30 years now. Probably. I mean, it started in the 70s. Started in the 70s. I thought it was more of the 80s. Okay, so 70s and 80s, it started with couples therapists. Yeah, I think by the 80s it was already illegal. It was There was a short period of time where it was being used as a couples therapy tool um, and to for, help couples connect better. Yep. And for PTSD. That's more recent. More recently. Yeah. Okay. So it's been used. MDMA, also street name called ecstasy, has been used for the or last Molly. 40 years. Molly. Um, and it's a substance that is taken orally. It's usually a pill or a capsule. It's and a, so the, the name of it is 3,4-methylene-dioxymethamphetamine is the actual like, chemical name. And it's weirdly, really closely related to meth, even though it has completely different effects. Absolutely. Uh, but it's uh, an empathogenic drug. So it creates empathy and it builds up these massive levels of connection that it does through serotonin release. So it works through really similar mechanisms to how antidepressant medications work, but in a much stronger way. And yeah, it's now cur- literally currently being researched with veterans who are going through PTSD, like war kind of PTSD, rape victims, all these sort of uh, people, along with, if you add to this, the fact that it was being used in couples therapy for insight into relationships, et cetera. And, you know, I had had my own, my own history with ecstasy uh, in the like late 90s, early 2000s. But you, many years into our relationship, like six years into our relationship or something, really started thinking that this might help you. Yeah, I experienced a few, like I had some, like a handful of experience of ecstasy in my high school years. Um, And they were all overall really magical experiences where I felt childlike and free and connected to my girlfriends. And it was really, really special. And I remembered that. So several years later, when we had gotten out of our scary place and there was more trust, I just intuitively felt and remembered the feeling of being on it. And I'm not a big drinker. I really don't like to drink too much. Like I'll have like a little bit of wine or like a, a mixed drink, but like I, it just doesn't feel right in my body. Um, so, but I remembered the feeling of how free I felt and I, it just stuck to me. It stuck to my memory and it felt like something that I needed to experience with you. And I was really resistant. You, like, Adi was super, super resistant because... Probably for like a year. Yeah, I, would, I said maybe no. maybe more. I mean, I would bring it up in therapy and we would all discuss it and she was very open to it, um, but also understood Adi's perspective. Like, okay, you used to be addicted to meth. We probably don't... If you feel unsafe, like this is going to lead to you doing drugs again. Well, and ecstasy was a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was addicted to meth for sure, but I sold ecstasy. Like, my life, my income, my friends... The parties I went to, everything was ecstasy totally. centric totally. for like three years, yeah. four years. And yeah. so it really scared me that I would go back and 
I mean, and everybody knows, I think most people know kind of like my stance on I'm not sober, even though I've had a drug problem, but this felt different. It felt like crossing into something else. So we had to, this, you talked about boundaries just a second ago. It took us literally a year, maybe more. You're right. Of we talking fought, about we it. fought for the oh, first yeah. six months. We fought because he felt like I was disrespecting him. And that was so hurtful because to me, it was like, I'm looking at this thing like it's medicine but I also didn't fully understand his past. I wasn't fully there. Like as much as he could describe it with words, I didn't experience what he experienced. So So, we had to create boundaries. Like I created boundaries. One of them involved, I don't want to know the people who sell this stuff. mm -hmm. I want to be as far away from the source. Adi's never bought any. He's never like been to the play. Like it's, it's very much like I handle it. Yeah. So this is something that we do as like a ceremonial experience much like someone who maybe goes and does it ayahuasca i think it would even be important just to talk about the first experience because yeah. now like it was yeah. developed into now is a little bit different yeah. but i remember the first experience was the build-up was um we had set aside a time um were there already friends involved in that first one i don't even remember if there yeah. were friends involved because it was just about you and i kind of reconnecting um and you know somebody got the drug and I didn't have to kind of be involved in that process at all. And, and there's also just FYI, there are testing kits you can buy online that allow you to test to just make sure that it's clean. Yeah. Dance safe is one of the organizations. Um, I just connected with the guy who started that, but they, you can get a testing kit to make sure that what you're getting is clean because yeah. street drugs are street drugs. That's just the yep. way they are. That's, that's one of the reasons I, I'm against the criminalization of drugs is because if you could get cleaner drugs, then I think there'd be less overdoses and all these other things in the world. Yeah, because you think you're taking one thing, but then you're actually taking like God that, knows what. That's how fentanyl is screwing everybody up. That's yeah. why people are dying because mm-hmm. they think they're doing heroin, but they're doing fentanyl and it kills them. It's crazy. Um, so we got together. We had gotten a room. We did a staycation. So every once in a while, even before this, we would do these staycations. We would kind of get a night away somewhere. We'd have somebody watch the kids overnight um, and then we would go stay away. And then this specific one, we got a suite at a really cool hotel and we went and we took this together. Um, and we set intentions beforehand. Yeah, we, we talked, did like a whole ceremony. We wrote down in a journal like what our intentions were for this experience. Yeah. And then we shared them with each other so that we not only had our own intentions, but we could hold on to each other's shared intentions and bring that out. Because you're very aware when you're on this drug, as long as you don't take too much, as long as you take a very like you and we recommend that you like do a very small amount. Well, we recommend me, you do a zero amount. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack. We don't recommend that we you do this. We're sharing our experience. We're sharing our experience on, about this. We recommend for ourselves that we only take a small amount. Yeah, Sophie has Sophie's a lightweight and everything, so she takes really really tiny amounts. Yeah, um, and it's magical. Like I can look at it and I'm already like feeling it. Yeah. And yeah, so we went into it. We took a very small amount. We. We journaled our intentions. We lit candles. It was very romantic. And then we dug in. And then like 45 minutes, we started to feel it. And I think even just by having that ceremony, we already felt so connected. Yeah, absolutely. But it definitely opened you up like... Oh, considerably. Physically more than normal, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think that was... That's still a process we're going through in terms of um, really now discovering together what this post-trauma, post-cheating, post-your-past-abuse kind of experience, uh, sexual and and intimate experience for us is like. And so, you know, the power of MDMA, for instance, is just the fact that it 
breaks through the walls chemically. Exactly. And and I, I have to be clear, I would much rather break through them not chemically. It's just that like everything else in the world, there are tools, right? There are like, tools, exactly. Like it, it would be nice to be able to build a house just with your hands, but you need hammers and saws and and uh, and you know all the other tools equipment. that go along with all the equipment that helps you put it together. And so in our experience, this has been one of those things that has been really powerful. We now do it a few times a year, maybe like two to three times a year. Um, it's very secret and an amazing experience and magical. It's really magical. And for me personally, from a place of like that girl who was traumatized and that girl who was abused, my sexuality was shut down. And I had, and then all the experiences with the D just like further, yeah, you know, affected that and sharing this experience and within, you know, 45 minutes, all my inhibitions going away, all my fears melting away, feeling them melt away and feeling like myself, just feeling like me, the me without fears, the me without anxieties, the me without self, you know, hate or any of those things, all my self-esteem issues that had grown from being abused, from being cheated on, all those things that build over time, those experiences that mold you into who you are and the way you walk around in the world with your shoulders shrugged up and you're hiding a little bit and you're in pain and the way you interact with every other person is from that place of hurt and fear that that girl wasn't there. And I remembered the feeling. So at the coolest part is that after you're finished the experience, you hold on to that feeling. I held on to that confidence. I grew a little each time. Yeah. No, definitely. I felt it in my skin and in my body. I got to like not just try on a costume, but actually become that person. Yeah. And you have experiences that teach you that the way you had lived up to that point are not the only way to live. And so, and that everything is still okay on the other side, right? Because the fear... So I was more kind of sexually adventurous before you and I got together. And I think that really scared you. I think it really, really scared you that, oh my God, you know, he's had all these other sexual experiences and he's had all these other partners. And so what do I do? How do I fit into this when I've only been with one person? And I know you told me over and over and over um, when we first initially got together that you know, it really, you didn't feel comfortable with it. You always, there was always a part of you that said, you know, um, A, that kind of judged me and or put me down for having these other experiences and, and having multiple partners, but also a fear inside of you that maybe, you know, um, you weren't going to be enough or that you didn't have the right experience for this. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think... I'm I'm already eight years younger than you. Right. So already I had these ideas and stories in my head about being with an older person and what that meant. And then you came with all these experiences, even more so. Like I already had insecurities about being with someone who was so much older. Um, you know, my dad was always older than all my other friends' dads, at least in my mind. And so that created a fear. And then you came in with all these experiences sexually and with relationships and just being older and wiser. And I felt insecure about that. And then I felt like I wasn't worthy or good enough or like experienced enough. And 
you know, what does that mean? Does, am I going to bore you? Am I going to not be good enough? And so all these things that just wrapped up into this story and then there was the cheating and then there was all my stuff with Keith, my ex. It's just, it's just so much yeah. and it builds and builds and builds. And what our experience with Molly did was allow those things to strip away yep. and allow me to, in that moment, in that experience of three hours, four hours, whatever it is, to show up as I am and feel my skin and feel my body and feel my heart without all of those layers built on. Yeah. And then when we woke up the next day, still feel that magic and still feel that tingle for weeks to come. And then that would build into amazing conversations right. and growth. And well, and even now, a few years later, you've now had these experiences. And like you said, you remember them. So it's not like you weren't there for them. Exactly. Um, it's not like one of those crazy drunken nights that you don't even remember because you blacked out for. You remember you were there for exactly. it and you have the lessons from it. And so now you're no longer the person who's only had the whatever experience you had before me, but now you've had all these experiences which changes your own self-image anyway. And the reason it's so powerful for PTSD a lot of times is because it allows you to break down those boundaries and make connections, whereas before your your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that plans all the time and, and keeps you in check, always withdraws and, and gets afraid and increases anxiety as you get near those kinds of situations that used to trigger you before. Exactly. So... You know, that's why it's it was, it was so healing. I just want to say that it was the most transformational healing experience for me Yeah, and so necessary for my growth and so necessary for our relationship. And it sped up some of the healing in yeah. ways that I don't know that I could have gotten in other ways. And again, you know, it's interesting. Like we don't know what it would have been like if that came in earlier. We don't know what it would have been like um, if it never came in. We have no idea, right? Yeah. That's, it's just one of the many things just like our Sunday night groups where yeah. we go, it's called RCA, Recovering Couples Anonymous. You can find one in your city probably. Um, you know, those are the things that like to me are the non-negotiables. <laughs> the medicine, the therapy, the groups, yeah. and then our personal work and dedication over time. All of those things were factors in creating this new life and this new relationship that we have. And I mean it when I say I would not trade any of those experiences, any of those past things with with a D because it brought us to where we are now. And I don't know that if we didn't have those shitty experiences. Well, we wouldn't have had the growth. We wouldn't have had that. I don't know that we would have. I don't think we would have because you're not challenged in that way. So, you know, there isn't any good and bad. It's really about your growth and about your closeness. Yeah, and, you know, I think... The important takeaway from this, we don't have a, a relationship tip for this week because this entire thing, because is, this entire thing is a relationship tip. Yeah. But, you know, look, we're telling you our story because these are the things that worked for us. Um, again, you know, for example, like when it comes to MDMA, um, there's a lot of research being done on this. This was one of the original uses of the medication when it first came out before it became widely used illegally. And like everything else, there are these tools available. And part of, I think, what we're telling you in this um, in this episode is this. Learn about the tools that are available. Pay attention to that intuition that we always talk to you about in terms of which one of these things sounds to me like it might provide the kind of healing, the kind of support, the sort of um, the sort of insight that I'm looking for. And then have those real conversations with your partner. You'll notice that throughout this, this wasn't really simple. It's not as if Sophie came to me and said, hey, there's this drug that if you take it, 
you party with other people and it's a lot of fun. And I went, fuck yeah, let's go party. That's not how it went. No. We it went was a conscious decision as a couple. This was a, a year couple. to a year and a half conversation between Sophie and I. Because it, he came in with his experiences. I had my anxieties and my insecurities. And the question was, will this help our relationship or will it hurt it? Right? Because I told Sophie this once in a very direct way. I said, look, I love you and I love the kids and I want to do zero to risk that. And this felt to me initially like it would be something that would risk that. So we talked about it for a year, a year and a half. We didn't yeah. jump into it. So then we set boundaries within that. So there yeah. are, we have 15 boundaries when it comes to just that experience of doing Molly. And they've adjusted over time. And they've too. adjusted over time. And as we grow and as we change and as we have different needs and wants and desires. and Yes. There are people who go to sound bath. Uh, experiences because that's what they need. There are people who do ayahuasca ceremonies because that's what they need. They're, all we're saying is pay attention around. There's so much information out there in terms of... There's beautiful, like you can take um, psychedelics like, uh, like, sorry, mushrooms. I was trying to remember the actual name. Psych- How do you say it? Psycho- psilocybin. Psilocybin. So there are in many cities, there are these amazing like come together sound baths with using mushrooms. Yeah, and there's a lot of medicine-based sort of like, events. There's so many, and there's so many unique ways to heal. We just saw, if you listen to our Valentine's episode with Ale- Alexandra Roxo, she came over to our house with her personal coach and healer, yep. and they did a session with us. I mean, we lead relationships. That's like we all can benefit from all types of random, oh, weird... Absolutely. Put whatever judgment you want on it. Not bad. Like you can talk about drugs is bad. You can talk about like talking about sex with a total stranger is bad. Like all these things, if you bring your judgment to it and trust me, I was judgy McJudgy pants. Like I was the judgiest because I was so in fear. Who is judgy McJudgy pants? It was me when I first met you. <laughs> I was so judgy about how many partners a D had and you know, things were dirty or not dirty or slutty or, you know, saint like it's just not like that. There's a middle ground. And you need to find your middle ground with your partner. What That's makes it. you feel good with your partner Period, and what makes you blank. build trust and what makes you feel excited to be in the relationship and in love and connected. Yeah, that's it, right? In the end, if you and your partner can figure that out and actually live in that space, who gives a fuck what everybody else thinks, right? I mean, be responsible with your children if you got children and raise them well. And and by the way, this will help you raise them well because you're not fighting in front of them and it's there's not conflict constantly. Be uber responsible. Do what you need to do. Take care of what you need to take care of. But also pay attention and don't settle for meh. If, no. if that's where you're at right now. Think or, outside. We're here to offer to think outside the box and yeah. that there are lots and lots and lots of options out there to heal from whatever experiences you had as a child whatever experiences you had with your partner, you can heal and you can have the best relationship ever. I am so turned on and activated by a DNI's relationship. We are 13 years into this and I'm more activated and excited by our experiences and our conversations and our growth and the challenges and our edge than I've ever been. And every year it gets better. Oh yeah. And now our conversations are literally more about like, Hey, um, how can we enhance this? Yeah. Like, how about we do this or how about we do that? And like, we just have these conversations about like, you know, we're trying to get to this place where we can travel and just take the kids and like go for a year around the world and travel. That's a conversation we never would have had in the past because we weren't safe enough. We didn't feel trust enough though. So this brings you to a better place. Um, Find your way. This is our way. But as you notice in these 
going deep episodes, our goal is to really walk you through along with our journey, even if it's the shit that other people will judge us for and maybe think is weird and whatever, that's okay. This is what has led to our relationship now. And, and, um, and you know, we haven't even shared everything with you yet, but we will, we will well, keep doing that yeah. because, you know, we know what it had helped us overcome and discover. And we hope that it can do the same for you. We love you guys. See you next week. Mwah. Have a fun day. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Ignited Podcast. We were so happy to have you along for this ride. Please go and subscribe to this. Leave us a review. We love hearing from you. And if you want more, don't forget to go to ignited.com where all the podcast episodes are available with show notes and so many of the little details and links from each one of these interviews. And you can look at all the future events that we have going on, all the things that make Ignited so special, even beyond this recording. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week.